Welcome to Free Range American. Uh, we have Trevor Thompson here in the office. I feel like I'm in an NPR show right now where it's like the sweaty ball shtick from Saturday Night Live. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, hey, it's good to see you, man. I've been gone in Texas for, shoot, over a month now. Yeah. So well, I think five we exchanged weeks, five texts, give or take. I figured was, you were busy with being not busy. <laughs> I was super busy. <laughs> it's really, really busy. There's a lot of stuff to do down there. Yeah. Yeah. Like the other half of the company to run. Well, yeah, the other one-third. The one-third here in Salt Lake, one-third down there, one-third basically in uh, Manchester. I always call it Nashville, which uh, is the inappropriate thing to tell people. But I'm so used to telling people it's it's just outside of Nashville because they don't know where Manchester is. But I did have... Uh, a bunch of guys from the plant tell me that they were pissed off that I keep like, saying, "Hey, Nashville. look, man! I know it's in Manchester." <laughs> Preface: <laughs> Trust I know. me, I know. Uh, Not my fault. That nobody knows where it is. Nobody knows Manchester, so you have to give them some type of point of reference. Hey, it's you know, roughly forty-five minutes to to an hour. Outside I mean, would you tell somebody that you're, you know, from Provo or just Salt Lake City? Yes, yes, and yes. I always have to where I'm yeah. from originally, which is Lewiston, Idaho. I have to tell people either it's an hour and a half, two hours south of Coeur d'Alene, or it's five and a half hours north of Boise. They yeah. do not know the city, and there's thirty thousand people there. It's not as if it's an insignificant footprint. It's not a village, but unless they're from there, they just don't know. So uh, I apologize. Uh, coffee roasters in Manchester, the Black Rifle Coffee employees. I do know you're in Manchester. It's just, it's very difficult to describe every time. So I just say Nashville so I don't have to go into the definition. Yeah. Anyway, man, it's great to see you. Yeah, you too. Hey, dude, it's been a while. I guess a whole six weeks. Our last podcast did really well, by the way. I think. Yeah, you were talking about that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people were, <laughs> were pretty stoked because we got into. We were sharing some texts back and forth about some of the messages. Yeah. That people have been putting in raised planter beds yep. and doing home workouts. So that was really cool to see. Like, immediately people were on it. Man, I, I've gotten a ton of really positive feedback yeah. from that where uh, people were just using this as an opportunity. Listen, I'm going to be off of work. I, I've got a couple messages from guys that were, hey, I wasn't laid off, but I can't go into work. So yeah. I'm just spending more time at home. You guys gave me some great ideas. And, you know, that's, that's the same for me, by the way. So I've been discovering a few things that I've, I've been able to get into some and get a little bit yourself. deeper in. Not necessarily about myself. I think um, my wife has discovered that she prefers that I'm in the office most of the time. So that's good. <laughs> that's, a good that's a good thing to discover. Um, no, I, I spent a lot of time with my kids and thinking about my kids more so. I think about my kids all the time, but... To have a daily interaction mm-hmm. of substance is a challenge when you work from early in the morning to late at night. And most of the time, you know, I see him in the morning for breakfast and then I see him in the evening yeah. for stories and for the bedtime routine. Give or take, you know, there's a few nights in there where I don't and obviously I've spent a lot of time on the road. So 
there are nights when I miss stories. There are mornings when I miss breakfast. But I try to hit those two hard times. Yeah. 90% of the time, it really... I don't have a lot of um, conflict within my schedule at that point. I make that a point of pr- a point of uh, priority. But it is so interesting to me to spend, because my daughter, my six-year-old, she's not in school. Uh, my three-year-old's not in school, obviously. She's three, but she's not even preschool. So, dude. It's just in life school. Talk about, talk about fun, man. In Texas, you know, there are all kinds of bugs and snakes you know uh fish so we we've we've been tigers able to spend tigers if you're in where, where was that where's that document oklahoma you, yeah in oklahoma you got tigers in oklahoma but uh we had a great we had a great adventure uh i, I got think, to work i mean that's part of why i wasn't trying to bug you oh yeah it's not really bugging you're one of the few people that I want to see a text from him. <laughs> oh God, what are they? What are they? What's going to happen now? What is this what, what guy need? burnt down? You know? <laughs> mm. Yeah. Nah, but, it's been kind of the same um, at my house. Like, put in some planters. Have been those have been growing great. Have done a ton of housework. Like things that aren't on the back burner, but were like secondary and, and tertiary needs. Like, ah, you know, do we really need to fill gravel in and? Mm-hmm. Well, no, not right now. Well, right. now, okay, yeah, now let's do it now. Right. Like, like now there's literally time to sit and let this stew and, and get done the right way. So I hope that everybody is, and it seems like a lot of people are taking the time at home or the time away from their jobs, either forced or not, to be productive in a way that was different from before. I hope so. I, I think... You know, if I have anything to offer to people, uh, you know, I've, I've continued to remind people in the company, which I felt like an officer when I put it out, but, you know, keep going back to the three P's, maintain positivity, be professional and be polite. Yeah. Uh, now granted <clears throat> we've, we've been in a very fortunate position that we haven't had to furlough people. So, you know, it's easier, I think, to be, to maintain the three P's when you have a job. So, yeah. Uh, we're not discounting the fact that if if you've you know lost your job in this, I think what we're trying to get to is I have had a significant amount of challenging circumstances for extended periods of time in my adult life. Yeah. Uh, business has not always been, you know, this uh, this way for us and, and before Rainbows that and unicorns. You know, living in a shipping container overseas, uh getting shot at for a paycheck is is not exactly the the high point of professional existence. Yeah. Uh, well, what's the joke? It's like ninety percent waiting around and bullshit, and ten percent it might be cool. Yeah, might be cool. <laughs> might be cool. Might be cool. <laughs> and I've I've tried really hard over the last six weeks to to one tune out of the news because yeah. honestly, it's 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 a it's a fucking waste of time. It. <laughs> It's not just a waste of time. It's a waste of your mental energy, right? right? Like you're putting cognitive load into that, into that stuff. And it's almost always an echo chamber. You mm-hmm. know, if it's a spin up thing, it's, if you're on the right, you're watching right wing stuff that'll spin you up more and make you even angrier. And if you're on the left, you're watching left wing stuff that will spin you up and get you even angrier. And it's only parroting information that you either thought you knew or you had some sort of like claimed knowledge of. And it's right. affirmation. You know, it's, it's this revolving door of confirmation bias, both ways. Right. None of it's good for you. No. 
You know, how if how you, is it directly impacting your life every day? Like, or is it going to help you get a job? Is yeah. it going to help you be a better Person. father or husband or whatever it is? Yeah. And, and what will spending hours perusing social media and news cycles or the TV or whatever, how is that going to benefit you in a way that instead of, say, gardening or reading a book or taking an online – there's so many free online courses that are right now. Just do one. Just do one. Uh, you know, I, I, I was perusing different courses. I'm taking actually a Rob Wolf. Rob Wolf has a course, right, on uh, just diet and mm-hmm. a few other things. Uh, so I got back into Rob Wolf's podcast. I hadn't listened to it forever. Yeah. Uh, it's such a good podcast. The guy's such a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, when he it is. comes to like keto and nutrition and a bunch of other things. Like he's kind of the father of keto, I think. Like the keto movement. I he's would definitely like the mainstay ambassador that mm-hmm. has lived the life, proved it's livable, right? For multiple kinds of people, because he and his wife have different ways of reacting to food, right? Right, and they show that, and I think that they do a great job at doing that. Well, that was one thing I think you and I have talked a lot about food, food, food specifically. We both like so, to eat. Yeah, we both like to eat. This like a is our moose hide. Well, yours, mine. Yours. But Trevor was there. who's very, very much part of that entire trip with, you know, it was myself, Trevor, uh, John Dudley, John Barklow, uh, Andy Stump. We, we had a fantastic trip up in uh, British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks Trudeau for the moose. I really appreciate it, you You know? Uh, but one of the things that Trevor did, which I thought was fascinating is, uh, and we both agree on the utilization of the animal to its, to the the greatest capacity. Right. So what Trevor did and kind of explained to everybody what you did after you, you shot your moose, which so, is Boone and Crockett moose. is a huge yeah, moose. he was huge. Um, well, he was one inch under Boone and Crockett. Are you kidding me? One inch. One inch? Which is still a monster, dude. gigantic. Yeah. yeah. It was like 184 inches or something. Yeah, that's taller than me. Yeah. I just made that up. I don't know. But. Yeah, I think it's taller than you. Yeah, it yeah. is. I'm only 67 inches. So, yes, it is. <laughs> um, it was a huge moose. And, uh, I had told everybody there that I wanted to process the whole thing myself as much myself as possible. Obviously it's a 1200 pound animal, 1100 pound animal. Like we're going to, I'm going to need some help moving them around and and that sort of stuff. And like you were there helping skin and process some of him. And we all did that on all of our moose. Yeah. Like everybody touched everybody else's moose in some capacity. Yeah. We were all touching each other's meat. Yeah. For sure. Um, hot and cold. Mm Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do all the processing to learn the skill because it's a thing that has been getting passed down for so long amongst humans that I really wanted to learn it and and do it myself. Right. And uh, I think Dusty and Bert told me I was fucking crazy. Correct. Yeah. Yep. They're like, that's stupid. You should take it to a processor. How many times in your life, though, have you heard that's stupid? You shouldn't oh, do that. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> <laughs> do we even want to play that game? The, Sorry. Uh, that might be... Oh, a, it just blew out the mic. <laughs> that might be a ghost signal for me. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's, I don't think you should do that. Oh, really? That's stupid. You shouldn't do that. I see. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll do that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it so. was cool because... I watched Trevor over the course of several days break down. It took about three days total time. Yeah. Like from the time we got him hung up um, and started skinning him. 
right. truly skinning him uh, to the time that I had it all packaged in vacuum sealed bags. Right. About three days. Mm-hmm. Um, the and weather. You were you were dressed up like a mountain man, Dexter. Yes, and <laughs> sick of know, mountain man, Dexter. We we had we had killed a few moose up there, by the way. So yeah. when we started killing. <laughs> It was like the the floodgates had opened, <laughs> yeah. and it it was when I got that one. It was immediately another one got shot. Yes, so we had moose everywhere. Oh, yeah. There were moose parts everywhere. <laughs> we were eating moose every night. It yep. was like it was we such had moose. A- line, we had moose loin like the first night. Moose again the next night. Yeah, moose for breakfast. It was ridiculous. It was amazing. Yeah. It was such an amazing trip. But yeah. Trevor's over there for three days because he. And the temperatures were perfect. It couldn't yeah. have worked out better. It was um, it was above freezing, but mm-hmm. below like forty five degrees. Right, a little bit of snow flurries, which is absolutely perfect to process an animal and leave it hanging out. Um, which is what I did, and I was taking a quarter at a time on top of that big Yeti cooler that I brought up. Right. So you know, thanks Sloan for providing that so that mm-hmm. I could put a whole moose in it. Right. Almost. Um, and I used it as a table and just learned how to process a gigantic animal how many because you had brought up some knives with you too were those were those half face or tor who's uh so i had tor knives up Mm -hmm. there um and i had an axe yeah a small hatchet like Like a winkler was it a winkler or was it i had a winkler with me but i also just had like a, a a useful like a um like a holtzbrook or something like a hatchet. Yeah. So what I'm getting to is what what were the tools that you needed? Oh, okay. To, yeah. To to take so, this entire thing apart. Take the whole thing apart. I needed. I brought up two fillet knives. Yeah. I brought up um, a skinning knife, mm-hmm. which is the one from Tor. Um, I brought up a slightly larger knife, uh, which was like an older one I had while I was in the teams. Mm-hmm. And then I brought up the the tomahawk, not really to use it. Right. And then um, the axe and what else? Uh, a set of the Havlon like um, surgical knives. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which yeah. You, you really do need them if you're going to be doing that much skinning and that much processing. Because y- once you get down to the little tiny stuff, like you just need those knives. Like it's it's right. easier to work with. So you you, na- you need everything from a scalpel all the way to an axe to break an animal that size down. Um, and you, you can use a bone before? saw. I'd never done. Broken? It. Nope, nope, no. Right? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, no. So I, uh, I asked a lot of questions mm-hmm. and basically I was like, oh, well, I've, you know, I've processed some smaller animals, not the whole right. thing. This is the first big game animal I processed the entire animal on. Right. And I told my guide that I was like, I want to do it all. I want to do it all. So like, yeah, he yeah. let me crawl inside the, the carcass and like yep. gut the whole thing. And he was helping with that um, yeah. cause he knew that it would just be quicker, but correct. Man, I am so happy I got to process that whole animal. Yeah. It was a huge pain in the ass, though. Yeah, well, it looked I'm like, sure it looked like it. I, yeah, was, it I think like I was tired every night. You like, were tired I'm every night because you were working from like sun up to sundown. Yeah. Breaks for lunch. Every day, breaks for lunch. But were your wrists or your hands getting My like hands were super smoked. sore? So smoked. Right. Well, because you're moving like each quarter weighs like, I don't know, about as much as I do. Right. You know, mid hundreds to close to 200 pounds, depending on which side of the animal it was. Right. And I was moving all that stuff around and it would take, it took me that first quarter probably took me five hours to do six hours by itself. That was the one I was really learned on was that very first quarter. Right. And holy shit, it is way harder than I thought it was going to be like 
more power to all the butchers out there that can just break down a steer in you know one day dude i look holy shit because i've I've cleanly those butchering videos like how to butcher wild animals and you know seen really competent people skilled people it is like night and day the level of proficiency of watching somebody break it down where you're like oh my god yeah i can't i I can't even keep up with you i felt like a chimpanzee with a typewriter (laughs) like i think i got it oh no that's not for eating like yeah but you hauled off how much how much meat did you somewhere take? in the range of five hundred and fifty yeah. pounds um huge yeah so it was a it was a ton of meat a ton a ton of meat like, yeah that filled up my entire truck it, I rode on the bump stops all the way back to utah yeah so he's he's got a taco <laughs> and he he loaded that thing completely full. and then we drove we both drove out of Canada because I was taking my moose yep. you were taking yours. Uh, I did it differently. <clears throat> I just quartered mine, yeah. and then I dropped it at my my buddy's processing facility in Idaho. Granted, though, I did shoot mine first of the group, and I had about five, four and a half days to process it on yeah. site. So I did have that luxury where I, and I think I had said to everybody like, "Yeah, if I shoot it on the last day or second to last day, yeah. I'll take it to a processor. I'm not going to be that guy that's like, hey, keep please keep camp open longer for me to be weird.'" Which I was surprised because I thought it was going to be a huge pain in the ass. To drop to, it off? To, no, to get it across the border. Uh, oh, yeah. I thought yeah. this was going to be like a nightmare of just bureaucratic inefficiency. Yeah, and like blah, you found blah, blah. a dinosaur like, and you're yeah, trying to steal it. Fuck. I went through there and I was just, I, I wasn't like sweating bullets. I was just expecting yeah. this is going to be a prostate exam from the border, right? Nothing. Yeah. Just walk in there and like, oh, you got to move? cool. Chunk. Same Again. story. I and you said it to me. You're like, how oh, mine was real easy. Let me know how yours goes. Yeah. I get there and you're like, how how'd it go? Like, pretty easy. Pretty easy. What you got in there? Moose. How much? Like 500 pounds. Oh, that's a big one. Yep. Cool. See ya. <laughs> yeah. like, well, that was easy. So that that told me everything I needed to know. Which is, next time I go up, there's just zero doubt. I'm yeah. driving up. Oh yeah. All every back. time. Every time. That was too easy because. The meat, we've been eating moose. When did we do that hunt? October. When was that? So that was October. So my family and I have had at least one meal a week since October oh, yeah. that's been moose. It last, in Texas, we either ate whitetail or mm-hmm. moose. Uh, but I think we had one meal in yeah. five weeks that was not, uh, you know, I mean. Wildish. Wildish. Yeah. yeah. So it was either the whitetail I shot on on the Mexican border, or it was uh, you know those the moose that I shot. Those were good, Super right? Good. Oh been my gosh! Those. So uh, yeah, another hunting story. So this is just like Trevor and Evans' like hunting stories. <laughs> like, oh, so I went to British Columbia. <laughs> yeah, this is gonna we're gonna lose everybody. FYI, like, we whatever. paid for all those out of pocket. Yeah, yeah. It's so like, let's not. Yeah, like we're I know sometimes people. They're like, oh, so special. Like, well, no, I mean, it was my money, too. <laughs> yeah, it was my money. I was terrified that I wasn't going to get a moose. It was Super terrifying. Yeah. Then that the white tail that we shot, it was a culling hunt that we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, there's, you know, there, there are things that you can do. It's just like a white tail like any yeah. other animal. I, but. I mean, I shot a, last uh, December, I shot a doe um, or a cow, elk, yeah. and it was a depredation tag. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so, those tags are like how much? Two hundred bucks? They're basically yeah, next to nothing. They're next to nothing. And then how much meat did you get off your elk? A couple hundred pounds. Yeah, 
and still, delicious, still I would imagine. Her. Yeah, and, and that, I am so glad when I shot that elk, I could not have been happier that I had processed that whole moose. Right. Two months prior or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Because we walked over to that elk, pulled her aside, and I literally, from shooting that animal, except um, Garrett helping me drag it to the right. ATV, yeah. I did every single ounce of processing. I wow. gutted her, put the guts in a bag because I wanted to keep the organs. Right. Pulled the tongue out, put that in a bag, took her home, put it in my truck, drove her back here, put her in my garage, and then did the entire skinning and processing in my garage with tarps laid out and got every ounce of meat off that damn animal. Well, I think that's <clears throat> that's a good point, which is uh, one of the things that we, we wanted to talk about today where you, know, you and I are starting... Are, are hunting mm-hmm. later in life. You yeah, didn't much hunt. Later. Yeah. Uh, you started hunting, what, two years ago? Two, two and a half years ago. Yeah. Two and a half years ago. Uh, really, like, I hunted when I was a kid. Uh, then, you know, joined the military. This old 9 11 thing kicked <laughs> off. And then I. I Tiny I little spent, conflict in the Middle East. Yeah. I didn't spend any time <clears throat> developing that skill set yeah. in the mountains. Even though I wanted to, but I was never home long enough. So what what I was trying to do was develop other skill sets that I would need, like multi mode transportation skill sets and things that I would need to be a success in a hunt or a yeah. long, uh, extensive you know, fishing trip. So before uh, I was even in Black Rifle Coffee, and I was just you know carrying a, a Black Rifle around for for a living. You know, my recreation was always been, you know, outdoors for the most part. Yeah. And my dream has always been to be really proficient at all of the skills that get me really deep into the backcountry yeah. so I can have this interaction with animals that you really can't pay for. You actually no. have to work and for I, those experiences. And I think you and I share a lot in common about that. We've talked about that mm-hmm. a number of times. Like... I don't want to be self-sufficient because it's cool, but because it offers an opportunity to do things that are so difficult that they force out people that refuse to do it. Yeah. Because I want to be there. It's a selection process, right? It's the way that we look at it. It's a selection process. Like I went for a run this morning um, and I'm thinking about that selection process, even when I'm, you know, when I was running in Texas, when I was running this morning, I'm thinking about the selection process in a way where I was like, (laughs) Dude, I've got to get ready. Yeah. I've got to get ready because yeah. I want to put in some miles this summer We're so gonna. I can put in some miles this fall uh, because I need to be able to to have these really epic interactions with animals that hopefully I eat yeah. and then some animals that I'm not going to eat. Yeah. But that's what the whole thing is all about, right? Where we look at, you know, for me, being able to... <clears throat> To hunt and kill a moose or hunt and kill an elk or a turkey or whatever it is, bring that back mm-hmm. and ha- have this ex- you know have this meal with my family and watch my girls eat something that I killed something that I processed it's it's such a rewarding yeah. feeling and <clears throat> by the way, most of the guys that I know that I grew up with they don't you know. They're not executives and, you know, uh, corporate America. They're, they're not wealthy. They're, they're blue collar guys. This is the way they grew up. It's the way I grew up. I just haven't done it forever. And 
this is how they supplement their their food for mm-hmm. their families. This is a way of life. So we're not even talking about things that are so inaccessible based on yeah. how much money you put into them. You know, Aaron Schneider is a good example of that. Aaron Schneider has stick bow and he's making long shots on big animals. It's doable if you put <laughs> all the, the time put the work in. But yeah, you got to put in the work, right? So it's such a a different mentality for people if they just decide I've got to put in the work, right? Yeah. And it doesn't change for either you, for me, or anyone. There's no there's no easy road to any of these things. No. You can't bypass and cut a corner. Sure, we could try to find some easy hunt we could go out and you know shoot an animal and then they could process it and we could put their head on the wall we could probably go get that make that happen oh yeah one that doesn't even come close to something that we want to do and two i like the entire process so yeah you know i shot i was shooting 100 arrows a day uh in texas to the point where my shoulders were like Fucked. I was gonna say, yeah. Are your elbows and shoulders just smoked? They, no, I've, I've taken about three. Well, my my road trip because I yeah. I drove my family in yeah, our camper back from two, Texas. Tuesday or so. Yeah, so it's been three days on the road. Yeah. My shoulders feel great, but I put in a lot of arrows because I know that come this fall, I'm gonna have to walk a lot of miles. I'm gonna have to throw an arrow, and I might have to throw an arrow. Hammer down. <laughs> I might have to throw an arrow an extended distance. Yeah. And I better not fucking miss. Yeah, and then after that, like that's that's why I wanted to learn to process is because yeah. then a lot of work starts that is yeah, I felt so comfortable doing that with that elk. Right. And I know it'll only get better, but that's also extra load and emotional strain that you don't have to deal with if you're like, ah, oh, once I kill this thing or if I get this thing, I don't even have to worry about it. Like I, I got this. Yeah. Like, no problem. It's a level of proficiency and confidence that you know you can take care of it. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, if you decide to do it a different way, there's there's that way That's for fine. sure. Yeah. But at least you know that you have the skill set in order to accomplish exactly. that. And then, you know, like we talked about uh, what, yesterday or the other day, like following that whole process, you still have to cook it. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I'm like a huge food cook cooking nerd um are you i think you've seen that um, are you a Traeger sponsored lacy knows that are you a triggered sponsored athlete um i think i think uh the term is an ambassador oh got it sponsored yeah so but yeah i am i'm on there like but you're rolodex of humans yeah you're there because you've got a grill i do you spend a lot of time on that thing i take a lot of pictures of it yeah me and the grill triggers located here in utah we do a ton of stuff with those guys it's just a really cool company they're a few blocks over from us great people this isn't a paid advertisement for no they're just just trying to tell you they're friends of ours yeah they're friends they've they've got a ton of mutual contacts within the, the people we hunt with my wife has been using it. She like got super right? into it for the last month. So, is that your preferred method of, of yes. preparing wild game? Um, yeah. And actually, the other day I cooked. Um, it wasn't. It was wild caught, but it wasn't. I didn't catch it. Um, salmon on the Traeger, like a super classical cookery way, like. I mandolined a bunch of potatoes and then put and scaled them onto the flesh side of the fish and then right. skin side down, put it on the trigger. Nice. So like you can go as far as that or as, as primitive as a whole leg of hog, which I've done that too. 
Yeah, so a whole leg? Mm-hmm. Okay. A whole hog leg. Right. Yeah. So, and how long does something like that typically... It depends on um, the temperature. So I've, I actually had this conversation with my neighbor yesterday because right. um, he came over and like lent me a wheelbarrow, moving a bunch of gravel around. Nice. And I'm like, oh man, I got something for you. So I ran into the freezer and I gave him an elk roast um, and gave him a recipe and like all this information on how to cook it. And he asked the same question. He's like, oh, how long does this cook? I'm like, well, a lot of the factors that go along with cooking and a lot of how to keep food tasting really juicy meat specifically, especially wild game, which we're talking a lot about, right. is letting it come to room temperature enough and then cooking it. So why you, you maintain a much more even cook cycle through there because mm-hmm. your start point internally is closer to that 65 to 65 plus degrees, Okay, right? You know, right. as opposed to pulling it out of the fridge where a lot of people's fridges are running at 34 to 35 degrees. Okay. Gotcha. So you're doubling the temperature, right? which then gives it a much more even cook. So you're not getting that like charred outside and rare inside. You're getting more of the rare to medium rare all the way to the edge of that thing. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're dealing with something like a Traeger, which is kind of like a convection grill oven thing combo. Yeah. Um, I'm still yet to hot air all all around. It's like, I call it like a convection oven. That's a grill. Got it. All right. So that's kind of how it functions. Like it pushes hot air around um, with fire underneath you get a really even cook around the entire thing. So you don't need to be sitting there flipping it. Right. You know, you might flip something once to keep the juices running back the other direction. Mm-hmm. But if you let it come up a little bit, you know, it, it could only take like four or five hours for a, like a whole hog leg. Got it. Right. But like a fish that'll take, you know, 15 minutes, maybe, you know, interesting. Like, and, and a lot of it is just dealing with, with temperatures and, and, and hoping that you're not, um, going too far like if you overcook something you're screwed well where so where are you are do you have like a phone app or is a trigger phone app so no i, I actually or? run like three different thermometers inside the thing really so i go like full-on like hyper nerd about it yeah okay. so the meat gets a thermometer yeah and then the trigger itself has a thermometer and then i'll put like another thermometer in like veggies or whatever okay. and, and check them. And then I have a hand thermometer that I run and I'll check the, like double oh, check the meat. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, like you've seen that. Like I, I'll, I, I check like a hawk cause if you miss it and thanks, you know, John Dudley for showing yeah. me this, like if you miss those temperatures, you're just, you're making jerky. Yeah. That, that, so that's my problem. So I'm only running the one thermometer probably yeah. in that. So, and I'm missing those temperatures a lot. Yeah. Get a uh, thermopen. Got it. Is, yeah. So if anybody's listening, a thermopen, they're not cheap. They're, I don't know, 50 or 70 bucks. Right. But totally worth it. They get within a tenth of a degree. Look at that. Wow. See, thermopen. I'm going to add that to. They're freaking Definitely. Awesome. Once again, this is not a paid advertisement <laughs> for thermopen. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested in this because yeah. I've been trying to up my game on the grill and... One, just the one thermometer, I think that's probably my yep. my big problem. And I've seen, like, John does some incredible things he does. on the Traeger. Yeah, and I've learned a lot from him, and I've learned a lot from another friend of mine, somebody you've met, uh, Aaron Blevins. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. She's taught me a couple things that she uses in the oven mm-hmm. that now I have transferred onto the Traeger, and it's working like what? phenomenally. Uh, like meatballs using cupcake tins. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so yeah. they each cook evenly, right? right, and in their own juices and stuff, right? So it's things like that that I'm starting to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of this I took from, I know I can cook relatively well over an open fire. 
on cast iron. Yeah. So I figured a lot of those techniques would work on a Traeger and they have. Right. Um, and I'm glad that that's a skill that I've been figuring out the last five or 10 years. It's cast iron cooking on a fire. See, I'm better at that. Yeah. Which that's a skill all by itself. Like that's yeah. a pain in the ass if you do it wrong. Just, well, in a Dutch oven, I think yep. I'm like, I'm semi-proficient at Dutch oven cooking. You're a Dutch mm-hmm. oven admiral? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I can cook things in it. You know, I can, I can I'm, I'm proficient. I can yeah. cook things in it, not burn the fuck out of them. I understand the whole concept of them. So yeah. if you've never worked with a Dutch <laughs> oven, it's pretty easy as far as the concept. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you've got a big pot essentially with a big steel or lid. big steel lid and you mm-hmm. put coals on the top, coals on the bottom and you know, it, you just continue to monitor the mm-hmm. progress of whatever you're cooking. Uh, it's fairly easy. You can use them too. You can put fire directly on the bottom. You can put fire directly on the top. You can use them as a, you can flip the lids yeah. use them as a, a grill top. Exactly. Yeah. They're super cool. Very diverse. Yeah, they are. They're a very diverse cooking utility piece. It's 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 a great piece to cook with in the backcountry. Oh yeah, and I think if you're gonna if you have a mobile camping situation like mm-hmm. a vehicle or an ATV or a horse, you need a a Dutch oven. Yeah, and like a small cast iron pan, and you're good. I would agree with that. I Those think it's two, two. I think you need two for sure. If you had two big, like a big, I, I like the big cast iron pans and, and then a small cast iron pan. Okay. Yeah. Like, like, a, like an I egg like pan and then two. like yeah, exactly. everything pan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because then if you're doing a bigger meal, yep. you can prep cook in the smaller and then you can transfer as you're blending in multiple yeah. different layers into one. Uh, but you can use the, you, you know, it's individual preference. It's it however, yeah. however you like to run your gear. Yeah. And once you're going with cast iron, like you're just assume you're going to have, you know, 20 pounds of shit. So I roasted coffee the other day <laughs> on cast iron. On How the was campfire. that? It was great. It, cool. it roasts super uneven. So, no I mean, it, it's because <laughs> yeah. you have to constantly flip it. And I had this giant cast iron pan and I was like, Hey, Logan, Logan and I were, were yeah. bullshitting about something. I was like, Hey, let's go roast coffee on the fire. And He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, man, those guys are going to be over here in like 15, 20 minutes. We got enough time. We'll just roast coffee on the fire. What's so interesting about it is it it roasts really uneven, which is a good thing and a bad thing, which is the, the taste profile is kind of strange. But then you have all the smokiness from the campfire that blends in with the coffee. The seasoning from the it's pan. It's such a strange coffee because it was an Ethiopian, it was a Yurgachev coffee. Mm-hmm. Some of the beans were darker. I picked a lot of the darker ones out, so I had a, a fairly consistent light and a fairly consistent dark with a really smoky profile. That's wild. <laughs> on this Ethiopian coffee and I hand ground it and, and did the whole process. It was super fun because a lot of people, I think they get hung up on, you know, coffee's Super complex, and it is. You have to be able to do it correctly. Yeah, you have to understand what's happening with the coffee bean. You have to understand the whole process. You have to understand the, you know, after a few million pounds of coffee, I think I've got the process relatively dialed in my head. I understand what's going on. I think it's similar with cooking food, and, right? You know, like it's a self sufficiency thing, and mm-hmm. it's a comfort level. And if you're comfortable cooking food over a fire or at home, just on a pan, you know that that opens up doors for you to eat how you want to eat, not how you're prescribed to eat based on the box of food that you have to put in the oven. But when you can't cook for yourself, you like to go to Jersey Mike's 
Jersey Mike's. Oh, wait, I'm just joking. <laughs> on 3,300. On 3, <laughs> yeah, um, it's a self-sufficiency thing. And, and yeah. I heard a study um, that shocked me, which is that it's not, a, it's not that most people don't know how to cook that was shocking. It's that the people that don't know how to cook also don't even own the equipment to cook. Wow, really? They they couldn't even have learned how to cook if they had wanted to learn how to cook. They don't have pans. They don't have pots. They don't have spatulas. They don't have spoons. None of it. That's what shocked me the most. In the United, this is in the United States specifically, right? So you're talking. You you don't even have the car to get to the place. You don't even have the vehicle to drive you there. You don't have a car, which I mean that doesn't surprise me. The car thing. Yeah. I. You know, like. You and I have talked about this a lot where I like to cook with fire, for mm-hmm. instance, right? So gas grills, yeah. I, I like fire. And I think there's a there's this connection between what we've been doing for, we'll call it at least the last 200,000 years of our yep. evolution. You know, if we look at the, the modernization of, of a human being, mm-hmm. we're only... 10,000 years, give or take, into agrarian, the agrarian society. And we're only a couple hundred years away, and not even a couple hundred, we're we're less than a hundred years away from cooking on fires all the time. Yeah. So I think there's something innately human. It's caveman TV for a reason. It is. It's just, it's so innately human to cook with fire. It's so innately human to cook, period. Yeah, to cook food. Yeah. We are... Like the only creature out there that intentionally does that with food. Well, I think it's part of the catalyst of being a human, human and, and, and what separated us from essentially, uh, you know, apes. And that, that we, is we the, decided we were going to strike a couple well, stones we, together and build a fire. We still are apes. And, well, yes. and part yeah. of our, like, and the anthropological assumption is, and they're guessing that a group learned how to cook over a fire or from a fire and that helped create a large, a larger brain mass, right. and that pushed us to be a distinct species or a, a distinct subspecies from chimpanzees and bonobos, which we split from at the shortest about two and a half million years ago. Which is not very long. Not very long. Not not in the, the not, not when you think we split from orangutans like twelve to twenty million years ago. It's like run those like start running numbers in your head, and you're like, man, we. We've only been these like pet humans for a very short amount of time. Yeah, and I think that we're so we're domesticated. Yeah, we're one I mean, I, specifically with the, the domesticated human. Yeah, which, which we are, which we are. But the, even from we we just take the last ten thousand years of humanity and we say, well, the last ten thousand years is is a blink of an eye oh, compared yeah. to the time that we've we've been on the planet. In the last 10,000 years, we still were living in, you know, dirt floors and organizing our food as far as like gardens and animals. This has been a very distinct... sustainable. Yes, exactly. It's been local. It's been sustainable. Uh, But we still had a a portion of our society that were deemed as hunter-gatherers well up until... Just, I would say less than a thousand years. And well, when we look even in a thousand I mean, years, when you look at like the Aborigines in Australia, when you yep. look at the Native Americans here, we look at the tribes in South America and some of the, 
you know, mm-hmm. tribes in obviously North and South America, if we took them all into consideration, but then even we're still just, doing it, we're I mean, still doing like, it. Like yeah. many of those tribes are still hunting and gathering based on a subsistence style of living. And what's very interesting for people to realize, and now they're seeing it with how this pandemic has played out um, across the world, like all the first world is running into the same issue, which is you can't just stop growing stuff, right? And you can't just stop feeding cattle, you know? So if the supply chain shuts down, right, right, our system is actually very fragile, the first world system. What's interesting is the hunter-gatherer system, as much as we like to put this very ugly, dirty, caveman-y, Hobbesian view on it, their lifestyle is very, very sustainable and very, very resilient. Oh, that food source just disappeared because that kind of tree has a disease? Well, we eat 3,500 different kinds of food, right? as opposed to the first world where most people eat somewhere in the range of like two dozen kinds of food. Two dozen. Like that's yeah. like an orange is one kind, an apple is one. I'm not talking right. different kinds of apples. Right. Right. These people eat that many different kinds of animals and plants. Right. So they have a very resilient system. That's why humans lasted so long. Our system now is hyper fragile and people are seeing that, you know, so maybe we need to look at how to marry the two together so that we can have some sustainability and some, some insulation from outside interference, you know, so Maybe if you can pick up hunting or if your neighbor hunts, maybe you can garden and then trade vegetables for some meat. Like there are ways to insulate yourself from this kind of nasty social impact of a system that is innately fragile. Well, I think the more this time plays out, right? The, the more this entire thing plays out, the more I continue to go back to something that I've felt for a long time, which is there's no greater feeling than being in the back country, there's yeah. no, there's no greater feeling than, you know, being free and being free of your watch and being free of your phone and being free of all the, the, the trappings of technology of modern society. And now yeah. granted, I, I have yielded the benefit of those things, but as a, as a human being and understanding what I'm connected to and really kind of what turns me on as an individual, yeah. When I look at the amount of antidepressants that are consumed on a daily basis and the opiates and the, the problems that we have within America, I can't help but think and hope what this is doing for people is it's helping them tune out of their technology, tune in a little bit to their environment and the locality of their food. Yeah, uh, And I think that the, the stigma for a lot of guys is that you know, and I've, I've, I've seen this, I've seen this across the board in a lot of different places where there's a stigma attached to it, where it's like some hippie shit, right? Where you start getting into sustainability. Yeah. Oh, you weirdo, you you're gardening. about like sustainability or solar power or any of these other issues. And they're like, oh, you must be some hippie. And I'm like, dude, I'm about the furthest fucking thing away that from what you would define as a hippie. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean like that joke that we made uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah. Like, yeah. What is it like? Birkenstocks and, and suppressors. Sil- suppressors. Yeah. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think when you're free, I think we're really what we're, what we're explaining is yeah. freedom because when you have confidence, yeah. you know, you're talking about going out and harvesting an animal and being able to break your animal down 
being able to put that animal in your freezer, yep. use every aspect of it, and yeah. do all of that yourself. I mean, I just that's made, freedom. I just made two gallons of bone broth that now I'm using as soup bases, gravy bases, right? Um, you know, like I, I saved the whole hide. I'm gonna pull the fur. Off. I'm gonna do it like this next week or the week after, and I'm gonna um, turn it into rawhide. And I'm making rawhide drums out of it. So like. I've never been able to understand that for people, my peer group or people that I've known where they, and, and I'm not putting anybody down in their recreation or their lifestyle. Let's just let me put that out there. But I've had this debate internally with my friends because, you know, I've got some friends that are way into football that where that just consumes every waking, yeah. Uh, every waking extra minute that their, they have. Their calendar year starts when, whenever or the it's the preseason UFC starts. Yeah. Or it's football or if it's baseball or it's golf or one of these like one of these sports. One of these voyeuristic that, sports. That means nothing. Yeah. It can't make you a better person. It yeah. can't help you feed your family. It doesn't make you stronger. It doesn't make you better. It is just a time suck. And to me, the way that I look at those things, and I've never quite been able to put these things together and logically frame up why they're doing it because they're like oh it's fun for me and i I get it because i i like the statistics involved in those things but i'd much rather do you know ballistic charts and yeah learn a new skill directly attributable to something that i want to accomplish in my life than trying to figure out who is going to score more touchdowns next sunday it's a personal bias i understand that so i'm not putting down anybody that's really into that i'm saying for me, when I look at the, 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 the time that I have available in the day, the time that I have available in my weeks and my months and my years, when I'm at the last minute getting ready to fucking die, I'm not going to look back on my life and think, man, I wish I would have seen more Raiders football games or I wish I would have played Pebble Beach. No shit. Right? I'm going to think like, oh, fuck, dude. I wish... I would have been on one of those stone cheap fucking hunts or, yeah. you know, I should have spent more time with my kids, which actually I don't, I don't think that's going to happen because every day I mitigate against that fear by spending more time or quality yeah. time with my kids. So I know that's not going to happen. I think when I look at these things with, you know, no regrets, I'm looking at it saying, you have to curate skill, and that takes fucking discipline. It takes discipline to be able to yeah. do these. You can't just sit down and watch a fucking football game and then make spreadsheets. That's super easy. Yeah. If you want to be a competent hunter or fly fisherman or mechanic or whatever that may, might be, like you actually have to go. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah. You actually like, have to put yourself out there. I get to wake up every morning and walk out and check the garden and make sure if anything needs right. to get done. And I have to water that bitch and it's not going to be done for a couple months. <laughs> it's not going to be done for a couple months. <laughs> but how much more interesting and how much more connected are you to your being as oh, yeah. a human? And I would love to see the statistics to the people that are more connected into the outdoors and living a, a very fulfilling outdoor recreation life and the people that are not and who's on more antidepressants. I would love to see the, the, the direct correlation because I guarantee it's there. I I'm guarantee sure it fucking is. it's there. Yeah. And well, not that antidepressants, people have to use them at times. I'm just saying, I think it's a directly attributable 
uh, circumstance to modern America that we are not conditioned to sit in boxes in buildings all day long with no sunlight and yeah. fucking chairs. We're not conditioned to do that. No, Nobody I mean, can argue with me people are about seeing this. digestive issues. They're seeing back problems. They're seeing all sorts of weird shit that humans shouldn't be getting. No. You know, and, and a lot of it comes from that. Like, there are very simple things that they've seen that have measurable impact on somebody's mental well-being and physical well-being, which are solid sleep schedules. That Man, I not, wish I could not, get that. Not, time, not timing. Like, <laughs> not necessarily like you have to get eight hours, but yeah. it's just like go to bed at you know a time-ish and get up at a time-ish. A lot of water and being outside in the sun to start your day for 10 to 20 minutes. Like there are some very simple things that you can do that most people just refuse to do. Instead, they wake up either too early or too late, groggy or hungover, immediately take the first thing that they can put in their body, which is usually over-caffeinated crappy coffee by the multiple cups worth, right? Or an energy drink. As fast as possible. Or an energy drink. Yeah, or an energy drink. A bunch of sugar, which we're not built for also. Right. Right, and then they just run about their super anxious day Instead of changing your schedule and just going to bed a little earlier, getting mm. up a little earlier, going and standing in the sun, drinking a glass of water for 10 minutes, like that will change your life. It will. I, and I started doing that a few years ago, uh, I directly yeah. that specific. That's like literally how my morning is. Like I get up. It was, uh, it was uh, Aubrey Marcus when we were talking uh, about it. I was like, hey, so... You know, give me your morning routine because I was super unhealthy. My lifestyle was very unhealthy, which was, it wasn't that I was doing anything overtly wrong any day, any day of the week. It was yeah. just the combination of a lot of factors, long work hours, a lack of sleep. So I wasn't watching Netflix till midnight, right? It was, I was working in the business till midnight or yeah. one o'clock. Sometimes I'd pull all nighters depending, right? Burning the candle. It was burning both it. ends and the middle. And then getting up in the morning yeah. super early. So I wasn't sleeping enough. Mm-hmm. Then when I would work out, I would be injured because I wasn't sleeping. Yeah. Right. Then I was making really unhealthy food decisions, which then adds to the getting injured because if you're eating really poor food and processed food, then you're going to have a bunch of like latent inflammation in your body, which right. is going to help you get injured. And it turns into a shitty sleep schedule. That was my life. Yeah. For quite a while. And it took a while for me. I, I was I was discussing this with, I think, Tim Kennedy the other day, not to name drop, but, but he is a high-performance athlete, right? He is a machine. Uh, obviously, Tim is a machine. And yeah, I think he's actually the Terminator. He might, he's he might actually be he a might robot. Actually he might been, actually be a robot. The government might have sure. built him. We're not sure. So I was trying to pick his brain, man. Like, what do you do? He's How like, are you this? And Tim's just like, man, it's super easy. Like, I just eat the right foods, get lots of sleep, have lots of sex. I just do the things that humans are supposed to be doing, and I'm, I'm pretty good. You See, know? but that's no bullshit. Like, you look at animals like bonobos or chimps or gorillas, right? You know, the ones that, well, chimps and bonobos are our closest relatives. Like, we literally share all but 3% of our DNA sequence with them. Gorillas, just a little bit off that. That's what they do. They eat stuff that they're supposed to eat. They screw all the time and they're kind of happy and they run around as much as they want and sleep as much as they want. And you look at them and they're healthy as fuck. They seem to be. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, 
They have no weird things going on. Strange. And we have all the things going I wonder, on. I wonder what, if they have cancer within those. I wonder if there's a, a cancer rate. There has to be a cancer. There's cancer in, yeah, there's cancer in pretty everything much everything. But I wonder what their sharks. cancer rate would be. That'd be interesting. Guess, yeah. But to this point is I love this conversation with Trevor because we have this conversation most of the time when, we, when we're yeah. together. Is like <laughs> Just when we're bullshitting anyways. It just takes a little bit more discipline. Yeah. At night, I have to turn my phone off earlier i have to shut my laptop turn my phone off i throw the do not disturb little thing on and just toss it off onto the counter and you you have to drink a little bit more water yeah you get up now i have a firm commitment in my life to the things that i do in the morning are very very easy i don't Mm -hmm. even start my day without getting outside like straight away especially now because it's beautiful the weather oh man it's perfect yeah it's perfect (laughs) right now but 48 the, degrees between in the winter time it gets a little bit rough in utah in the winter <laughs> yeah. time in texas it's already summertime basically so yeah. it doesn't really matter but if i'm in a hotel if i'm traveling it's the same routine turn my phone off mm-hmm. don't turn it back on again i start answering slack messages around 6 30 but i've already been up for an hour yeah give or take like i was up at five this morning kicking around and <laughs> i was no i'm like Hmm. There, there, there it is. is. There it is. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's the point where, for me, when I look at these things, I've had to make adjustments in my own life to increase the amount of discipline on things where in our previous life, in our previous existence, people would always say, sleep is a crotch, you're going to sleep when you're dead, you're oh, going to do all these yeah. things. Really, really unhealthy way Just to drink more coffee. Drink more coffee, take more you know, anti-inflammatories. <laughs> You know, you live on ibuprofen Eat and coffee and Copenhagen, and that is a recipe for burnout, yeah. and you're you're going to hit a brick wall in yeah. your life. You're going to hit it. And it probably just keeps getting recycled because the guys that they're selling that to and the guys that perform that that way are dudes that have relatively decent physical genetics and are between the ages of 18 and 23. Correct. So, <laughs> so nothing can kill age, you. Yeah, at that age, you can't see the the direct results yeah. of your your poor decision making. But we can feel it now. Yeah, I can feel it. It's I can fantastic. Feel it every it's day. Great. So I great. can feel it in my left knee, my left shoulder, my back, you right know? hip, left shoulder. Yeah, I can feel it it's everywhere. Fantastic. Yeah. But that's for me, I think it's applying discipline in d- different areas of your life. And I think if you're only looking at it, if you're looking at it from this really big general concept to you got, you have to have more discipline. Well, that's pretty fucking easy for somebody to say, right? It's super easy to say, but if you're just, what mm. I like to think about is eating the steak, at, you know, one bite at a time. Yep. If you're, if you're trying to fix everything at once, the best analogy is, you're trying to boil the ocean. Yeah. But if you look at things and say, I'm just going to concentrate on this for the next week. I'm just going to concentrate on this for the next two weeks or yeah. three weeks. I'm going to try to get this as a habit. For me, I have to do that. Yeah. So, so sleep I. was a big thing for me. For And I've talked about it on multiple shows, multiple times. It was a, such a big issue for me. It still is. Well, shit, I, mean, I like, have to get more sleep. Sometime last year, I think you were talking about feeling kind of shitty. And I think that was one of the first questions I asked you. I'm like, how much are you sleeping? Yeah. My body wants to get up at five and a half hours. Yeah. My body every night, it does not, it does not matter if I go to bed at 10. I get up somewhere between 3... Two yeah. thirty and four. There's you, like it could I'm have been just up. habituated India, and you just gotta like outgrow it. Just you push just, it. 
So every yeah. night I have to, every night around three, normally, or I shouldn't say normally, in my previous life, uh, t- uh, two years ago, I would just get up. Yep. I would get up at three. I'd be like, fuck it. Time to get up. Let's rock and get roll, man. Things. And I'm like, I beat Chaco by an hour and a half. <laughs> I'm, that, on, I'm on my game. That's right, and Chaco. by like 10 in the morning, I'm a dumpster fire. Because it's a full day you've already run. I've already done my full day. Yeah. So and it's breakfast for most people. Yeah, yeah, it's breakfast. Ah, shit! You want some French toast? My kids, I'd be making my kids breakfast, and I feel like I've already been up and accomplished an entire day's worth of shit. Because you did. Because I did, and I should have been trying to take a nap or something like that. But you know, you push through. Now, it, because of those years of doing that, now I have to put myself back to bed, concentrate on getting more sleep. So, and it's all like you said, it's like one bite at a time. It's yeah. all like building or rebuilding habit cycles like that's that's why i wanted to go shoot with mark this morning like we i knew that i needed to rebuild those habit cycles and that's why we did what we did on the range like all we did were multiple target engagements with two to three shots at different distances and draw drills like look let's just do stuff that's a little complex not a lot right and a little difficult but not crazy that will make our heads work and show us where we're deficient from lack of practice. How how great of a shooter is is Mark Twight, by the way. He's good. Yeah. Because yeah. he was a he was a competitive shooter. He was a competitive shooter. So Mark's uh, gonna be on the show a little later uh, yeah. in a few weeks. Mark is the shit. Mark is is a pretty incredible human being. I, I think that's an understatement. He's an incredible human being. He so he, he's a and he's a great person. On Just top like, of the fact. Yeah, like as a person, he's a great person. Um, it's been a real pleasure getting to know him really well and then being able to see him shoot and shoot with him, and it's going to be cool. Like we're planning on doing it weekly-ish. How far away was the range from uh, downtown? We went out towards uh, Dugway. Oh, okay. So like, yeah. like 45 minutes. That's not bad at all. No, no not at all. And we had a, a gong that he has, like a hanger. Yeah, yeah. Had it like 120, 130-ish. Nice. That we were doing like kneeling rifle and then uh, some target stands for IPSC stuff. See, that's all you need. That's literally yeah. if you so if you have a certain level of competency with rifle and pistol like, mm-hmm. and and some combat shooting experience, that's all you need. You need nothing else. You can run all damn day with three targets. Oh yeah, like forever because everything else you can just kind of like imagine or mm-hmm. pretend your way through based on previous experience. That's all. I mean, if you're a brand new shooter, you should probably go to a flat range with some setup targets and ranges, and like work your way into that. If you're a brand new shooter, brand new. If I, I've yeah. been trying to tell people this is, you know, there's a lot of brand new shooters out there. There's a, a ton, ton of new gun owners. I would highly recommend what you do is you go to a, a qualified instruction, yes, and seek it. You know, find out your local range. And be honest. Yeah, be super honest because there's there's a lot of guys out there that really don't know what they're doing. And it, it really, right now, if you're brand new to a pistol or a rifle, the thing that you have to learn is how to be safe. Yes. It's just how to be safe. And if you plan on carrying this thing, if you plan on integrating it into your life, you really have to understand how to be safe and effective. But yeah. first things first, just try to understand how to be safe. You don't want to have a negligent discharge as you're cleaning a pistol or cleaning a rifle in your house. And it's it's tough, I think, for people that are brand new to that, that have never been exposed to rifles or pistols or shotguns, um, when they see videos that are 
out of control the volume of those videos that are right. on the internet right yeah, now yeah. of people that come from similar ish backgrounds to ourselves that you see somebody manipulating a, a rifle or a pistol and it looks fluid and smooth and easy and they're moving around in a way that seems, oh, that's just how you do that. Not understanding that that guy has had hundreds of thousands and thousands of hours right. with that system in their hands getting yelled at, telling them that that will kill another person if right. you do something wrong. Yeah, they've had hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, poured into on who they are, pouring into them. Yeah. And I think... Like, yeah. like it, it looks like I'm being not as, quote, careful by right. motion, but if you're tracking where I'm moving, you see the training that's in there. Yeah, And, it's, and that's it, why people need to go to a course it's, or, it's, or something. It, it's like if, if I could put out a really good analogy is if you've never driven a car before and you just go down for the first time at 30 years old – and somebody hands you the keys to a Ferrari to, to a Ferrari. And they're like, all right, let's get you out on the track, kid. You know, <laughs> you don't want that experience. There's That's not an experience you want. You don't want to seek that experience. Yeah. No. Like even if somebody were to tell Trevor that's not possible, I'm pretty sure he would say, yeah, you're probably right on this one because that's <laughs> not what I want to do. Nope, nope, I'm good. <laughs> you got to crawl, walk run it's like yeah. beaten into our heads and there are so many good instructors out there and even you know from the local nra certified yeah. guy all the way to the you know the mike glovers like at yeah. fieldcraft like you can run the gamut of i just want to know how this functions to i want to be looking like the cool guy yeah and there's a ton of guys out there like there you said are there a are a ton of guys out there that are you know, post nine eleven vets from very qualified units that are teaching courses that are very safe, and they're not even maybe they weren't even mill guys; they were law yeah, enforcement exactly. guys, marshal service, FBI, yeah. DEA. You never like it doesn't matter. The guy can still yeah. everyone can be a great instructor and put out solid, safe information, and that's what people need. Well, and I will say this about the NRA, which is I you know I've taken some hit on uh, heat, not hit uh, hits for supporting the NRA on some stuff that we've done. And, you know, I always go back to, you know, the NRA is one of the largest certifying entities in the United States. Mm -hmm. They train more, uh, they train more first time gun owners on safe Hand carry yeah. handgun than any other institution in the United States. It's a, an American institution. I'm like, at the end of the day, I don't care what, the, the the politics and the Game of Thrones yeah. bullshit that's happening over there. I, I don't really care. Like yeah. they do them, but it's, the, it's not here nor there. No, you have a bunch of members and you yeah. have a bunch of people that need a certifying institution that teaches people how to safely handle firearms. Because what that does is it continues to propagate a positive signal of gun ownership. Exactly. It continues to qualify people that are going to be safe, that are going to treat firearms with respect, that continue to, to institute the rules of safe firearms ownership. That's the type of ecosystem we want to be part and, of. And for me, that's, that's always the important thing to focus on because those people that get certified or taught, same thing with hunting, same thing with gardening, same right. thing with any of the stuff we're talking about that – gives a person control over that part of their life or understanding and information and some sort of confidence, the important thing to realize is the third order benefit, right? It's their girlfriend, their boyfriend, their brother, their sister, their neighbor that now is comfortable with that being around 
and has an understanding of the information that's being provided, right? That creates a space where information is power, right? Yeah. And so if you don't know, you will be afraid or misunderstand something. But if you know, like my neighbor, right? Didn't grow up around a lot of guns, like, but me being around and talking to him about that and about hunting and about, and giving him some meat and that is a step towards that family changing some of their perspective and lifestyle in a way that they deserve. Everybody deserves that information if you can have it out there. Well, I I couldn't agree more. You know, I think back on just the times in my life where I've had to use a firearm as a deterrent. Yeah. And, uh, you know, here on our facility a few years ago, there were people that were trying to rob the facility. They were here and they weren't going away. It, the firearm became a deterrent at that point. I didn't have to use it, but it was there, and yeah. I used it in order to persuade them to do the right thing, which was turn around and leave versus trying to physically assault me, uh, which could have been interesting. It could have been super interesting, but it's it's there as an, a deterrent. We yeah. have firearms in our home. Of course, we're very safe with them. Yep. And I understand, too, when I come into the house, where does the firearm go? Where Where is it put away from my kids to make sure that my six-year-old or my mm-hmm. three-year-old, they understand I've had long, a series of short and long conversations with both of them about guns, guns in the home. You know, they've, they've been to the range with me. They've, you know, we, they, they understand and they're acutely aware that they don't touch guns. And when I say this, they're never really in a position to touch the guns to yeah. begin with. Like the things aren't, the things aren't <laughs> laying around with their Legos. We'll just say it's a safety mechanism and it's a redundant safety yeah. mechanism that they know they're not supposed to handle them or touch them. They understand that they're in and around our lives. But there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of people, I should say, that are very new to firearms. And it's like you have to have a safe place to put them. Yep. You have to be safe when you're when you're carrying them. You have to be within the 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 laws of your community when you're just carrying firearms Precisely. as well. Yeah, because there, as you're crossing state lines, as you're you know going through different cities, you still have to adhere to their. Yeah, what carry. are the legalities? Right. What are the like, legalities? Ignorance is not um, an excuse. It's not a defense that's, in court that's either. Not how the law works. <laughs> if, they, yeah. if you say I didn't know, they would go, "Well, that's a bummer." Yeah, for, I, I mean, for I've you. done it. I've done it before because yeah. if I'm carrying a pistol, for instance, and I'm leaving the state, you know, most of the time when I say most of the time now, I'm fairly familiar with my drive routes and where I'm going yeah. and what the gun laws are, but. I've I've done that multiple times in my life where if I'm driving, I'm like okay, I got to figure out what what state am I driving through, yeah, and make it, sure the that my laws? gun is in the, the correct condition. Yeah, because if I get pulled over for any reason whatsoever, the last thing I want to try to explain is why are you carrying a hot pistol under your seat in yeah. you know this state when it's, it's completely especially illegal. if it's as simple as it just needed to be over there or in yeah. there or not like this or like there are. It's it's not like they're telling you to take the thing apart and put it in your trunk, right? Like, Jesus. Sometimes it just needs to be out of arm's reach. Well, and if you don't know, there's a default mechanism there, right? Where yeah. it's like, if you don't know... Put it somewhere where you can't get it. Yeah, put it somewhere you can't get Unload it. it. Unload it and put you're it somewhere you can't get it. You're same. good. Yeah. <laughs> you're not wrong. Yeah. At that point, it's paperweight. Unless it is 
banned in the state, and then you might then have an issue. Yeah, yeah, you might have another issue. But that's a totally different conversation we're going to have to have for, uh, will. Uh, I think, a, a much... Well, not even a much later date. You're going to be more of a, a regular here on Free Range American. So uh, I think before we sign off, the Black Rifle Coffee subscription is a fantastic way for not only you to get great premium fresh roasted coffee every month, but we also have a ton of discounts with partnered retailers that are in the firearm space. So ammo manufacturers, there we go. Ammo manufacturers. I finally got it. I finally got my mouth to work. Uh, to target manufacturers, to different training facilities. Mm-hmm. We, we've, uh, we've got great discount codes across the board. So join the coffee subscription, have access yeah. to those. And if you're already a coffee club member, log on and use your discount codes. What I, I built the subscription, so your coffee will pay for your passions. Make it happen. Make it happen. All right, thanks a lot, everybody. This is uh, Trevor Thompson and Evan Hafer, Free Range American. Free Range American.